Welcome to Intimacy Architecture with Christy Ann Bella. This call-in radio show is here to help you discover the power of your intimacy. So join us with your questions for Christy Ann and her world-renowned guests, authors, speakers, and doctors. Together, they will help you build a life you love. This is a shame-free space where no topic is taboo. Here is your host, Christy Ann Bella. Hello, hello. Greetings, everyone. Happy Friday the 13th. Yes. So for those of you who don't know, Friday the 13th is actually a, a good juicy holiday that was, you know, meant to be a holiday of, of joy and passion and celebration. And somewhere along the way, uh, the Catholic Church meddled in there and and made it a cursed day. But uh, I love Friday the 13th. I actually got married on a Friday the 13th and people were like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, this is brilliant. <laughs> The Catholic Church messes up so many things, don't they? (laughs) Yes, they really do. Um, So welcome, everyone. Our guest this evening is Kate Laurie. She is a marriage and family therapist specializing in the world of kink, BDSM, non-monogamy, very sex positive, sex worker positive. Um, I mean, your background over the last 17 years just covers everything from mental health and trauma um, and all the relationship dynamics, including just good old-fashioned monogamy. Um, so <laughs> so I'm super happy to have you on board tonight. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, every now and then a monogamous person slips into my private practice, but you, usually it's non-monogamous folks, porn stars, escorts, that sort of thing, kinky folk. Yeah. 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 LGBTQ. Exactly, right? The, you know, I think those are the areas where because it is still taboo in so many ways that it's so important to have a safe outlet um, to have someone to talk to. And I absolutely loved on your website was the most beautiful quote that growth occurs in an atmosphere of respect, compassion, and a belief in the human capacity for healing, change, and reparation. And I'm like, that is just beautiful. Yes. Um, <laughs> I feel like that applies to like everything. Like if we could apply that to every area of life, like we would be set. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and it's interesting in my private practice, um, a lot of sex positive educators or, or even sex positive therapists, you know, they, they focus on the sexuality part. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's so many people that have trauma histories where, you know, their trauma histories, their abuse, neglect histories, those kind of things actually get in the way of that ha- having the deeper intimacy that they could have, or sometimes it keeps them tight in the bud where it's hard for them to blossom mm-hmm. as a flower regarding non-monogamy or kink or any of these things. Um, and so to me, like finding out what your sexual authenticity is, or even your authenticity as a human is one part moving in and exploring, but also healing anything from your backstory because the things in your backstory, if, if they remain unhealed, they do get projected into your primary relationships and, and into your relationships, mostly your love relationships, a little bit into your friendships. And so um, I don't think there's enough talking about those things. And those things also get in the way of non-monogamy sometimes, especially non-monogamy in, in comparison to monogamy, because non-monogamy pokes at our attachment injuries. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> 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 I love sexual authenticity um, because I think that's it's just a beautiful phrase, you know, this idea of being authentic to yourself and, and honoring whatever that looks like in your, your sexual path. 
And as I've been posting and promoting the show, I've I've been reflecting about how I was not authentic to myself. I, you know, I only knew monogamy was like the default choice that was given to me. And so I was just like terrible in relationships. I constantly cheated on people. Um, and so when I found out that there was, you know, at the, at the time the term was given to me uh, was polyamory. Um, and this idea that, you know, you can love other people and you can be in a relationship where everybody knows that you're like loving other people. And then you get to sort of choose your own adventure as to what that looks like. And I'm like, Oh my God, where have you been all my life? Like, this is it. This is me. <laughs> right. Right. I've been, yeah. Well, well, if you think about, you know, uh, just to, to go back in time, just for a moment, you know, there was a time where people were more tribal, more nomadic, and mm-hmm. uh, they were connected to nature, and they were more connected to each other. And then, you know, when the church came along and dominator culture and mm-hmm. all that, it said that connection to nature was pagan and evil. It, it, it put women in a certain place. It disconnected men, uh, men and women. It, they created the gender binary, like all of these mm-hmm. things that disconnected us not only from each other, but from ourselves, you know? And so, and and with that, we just became kind of lost. And from that place of feeling lost, we had to rely on the church, right? Mm. You know? And and as we start to real, as we connect to nature, as we connect to our authentic self, as we connect to art, um, you know, we start to blossom, you know, a lot of people that, that become non-monogamous all of a sudden start to connect in other areas of their life that they did not uh, anticipate, you know, it creates this ripple effect, this catalyst of opening, you know, uh, and, and I think this is because we start to reconnect to the roots, we start to reconnect to how we're supposed to operate in terms of um, connecting to art and sex and nature and all of these things that uh, dominator culture kind of disconnects us from. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I, I know personally my life just, yeah, skyrocketed all the way. Um, I mean, everything, everything I like took on, uh, you know, whatever project it was, whether it was careers, um, personal stuff just was doing so much better because I believe like your sex life, it, it is, we wouldn't be here without sex. So literally our lives are the result of sex. So I think anytime the sexuality of your life is not working properly, it affects your whole life. And yeah. so if you can like fix that piece, cause it's a very vital piece. If you look at it, you know, from the, the yogic energy chakra perspective, this idea of like, that's like your first and second chakra. That's, those are the roots. Like you're saying this, like right. the nature right. connection. So yeah, yeah, it's so important to have that piece be as authentic as it can possibly be. Um, and, and it's and it's interesting because you know here I am, kind of a fringe therapist in Los Angeles. So you can imagine my clients are about the most open-minded clients you can mm-hmm. get, and yet they still come in just loaded with sexual shame that I have to help them work through. Be you know, and that gets in the way of them finding their truth. And as we melt that shame away, they start to connect to who they truly are and they start to feel better about themselves. Yes. I am so glad we are talking about shame. Um, I'd like to take a moment to thank Brene Brown for making shame part of our more common conversations these days. Absolutely. Because it is huge. And, and I think, you know, the only way to get rid of shame is to shine a light on shame and be able to talk about shame. So what would you say, you know, if to our listeners who are like, okay, I realize I have sexual shame, where do I want to start to begin to unravel that? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, if we look at shame, so obviously we could talk about shame through a whole bunch of different lenses, but if we keep tight with our idea of non-monogamy, let's say Mm -hmm. that somebody is thinking about non-monogamy for the first time, but they're struggling with shame that's keeping them from being able to move forward. They're, they're thinking, you know, if they're a guy, they're, they're asking themselves if they're a monster or they, you know, a sex addict or something Mm -hmm. like that. If they're a woman, maybe they're wondering if they're a whore, like all this stuff that comes from negative programming. That's all kind of bullshit. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so I think for both in both camps, like if we think about the, the man, again, a lot of our culture teaches them that, um, that if they are sexual, that they will become, that they won't be able to control themselves, that they'll become a monster, that they'll become a, you know, a, a bad man. So if you start to understand, you know, like I talk to a lot of guys who believe that there's two doors they can choose, either kind of like the nerdy guy who never has, gets mm-hmm. laid or the douchebag who gets a lot of sex. And I'm like, there's a third door. There's, there's a noble slut. You can be a noble Ooh, slut. I love that. You know, and, and that is, is about being sexual and embodied in your primal masculine while also being kind, you know? Um, and, and that is, you know, you might have an amazing threesome or something and you might check in on the people the next day or whatever it is that, um, you know, your kindness can show up different ways. With a, a female, you know, who a woman who thinks that, you know, what if I, if I do this, are people going to think I'm slutty? Am I slutty for doing, you know, it's like, okay, so, you know, let's reclaim the word slut as Dosie yes. Easton talks. And I can't quote mm-hmm. her perfectly, but, you know, Dosie Easton, who wrote The Ethical Slut, talks right. about how, you know, you know, if you reclaim the word slut, then you know, it's more about someone who believes that sexual exploration is healthy and good as long as it's safe, sane, and consensual, right? Absolutely. You know, and reclaiming it. And, and so, uh, you know, that's a whole journey. And a lot of times women, once they start down this path, whether they go the swing lifestyle way or the poly way or some hybrid, they realize that they are embraced and told that they're beautiful in, in a way that they've never experienced before, where more of the quote-unquote you know, vanilla, typical uh, society has maybe slut shamed her or insulted her. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. she's embraced in a way that she has not been before. And so a lot of those kind of feelings start to melt away, especially if she connects with community. Absolutely. Yeah. Having the right community to celebrate this understanding of your most authentic self and, you know, and to release the shame and to see other people in this place where the, the shame is shedding and they're standing in, I love the noble slut that is just brilliant. Um, but yeah, the standing <laughs> in the, the power, you know, of, of having this understanding and being able to communicate it. Um, one of the things I love that you uh, had mentioned was that even more than communication, compassion is the key. You say to put your ego in your back pocket. Will you talk a little bit more about how that comes into play? Um, because you, I feel like, you know, c- communication is key is such a catchphrase these days. So how do we get into the compassionate place to even be able to have good communication? Yeah. Well, well, first off, I just want to say, you know, I mean, I've known people like say two lawyers that identify as non-monogamous. They may be brilliant communicators, but have no compassion and have kind Mm -hmm. of a bit of a train wreck going on in their non-monogamous relationship. Just because you identify as non-monogamous doesn't mean you're good at it. And to Mm -hmm. be good at it, one of the things that it takes a lot of things to be good at it. 
Um, but compassion definitely leads both self-compassion and compassion for your partner. With self-compassion, a, a lot of folks, they, they listen to a lot of the, the messages from a lot of sex educators, which lean heavily on cognitive behavioral thought. You know, mm-hmm. well, you just need to cope with your jealousy by mentally getting over it. Right. But unfortunately, we're not robots. There's, there's at least three yeah. components to our psyche, the, 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 the intellect, but also our body, the somatic. Mm-hmm. That's where we hold trauma, all of that, and our emotions. So if we make decisions just based on a third of our compass, our little ship is heading for the rocks, usually. You know, And so a lot of times when people just use cognitive behavioral therapy, and then, of course, it doesn't work inevitably, they come to me going, why am I bad poly? Why am I? You know, they go into a shame spiral. I see it all the time, yeah. you know, and, and so the, the self-compassion piece is about recognizing your triggers, you know, um, learning how to ground yourself, mm-hmm. uh, learning how to tell your partner about these things in terms of grounding yourself and knowing your triggers. Like if, if you have abandonment issues because your dad left you when you were six without a note, mm-hmm. then that's, you know, something you're going to have to heal. Right. And, and it, that is going to be a tender spot. And if you have a compassionate partner, they're not going to just bulldoze you with a bazillion other partners left, right, and center that make you fear being left. They're going to be a little bit more cognizant of the fact that this is a tender part in your underbelly. Mm-hmm. And the two of you can work around that, right? So, you know, I, I think so the, on the individual side, those are some of the things to think about the, you know, for the self, but also the partner who, uh, knows that their partner has, say, abandonment issues, you know, instead of just bulldozing them and being like, this is what I want, you know, you know, leading with ego, it's being more compassionate for those kind of things and realizing someone is not just going to get over it. They're not going to just have a cognitive reframe and be okay, you know? Yeah, you can't think your way out of it. Um, I wish it was that easy sometimes because, you know, my brain is great at, at that, but no, you need to, yeah, like you said, there's, it's trifold in the body and, and feelings and, and knowing, I, you know, I feel like when you're in a non-monogamous relationship, everything feels magnified. Um, and so, at least for me and my personal experience, my unhealed stuff was just like, you really, I couldn't brush it away as easily as, as I, you know, in times when I wasn't a monogamous relationship and there was just like one person that was kind of like, Hey, there's this thing over there. I was like, yeah, yeah, let's just go about our business. But the more people you have involved, the harder it's like, um, no, yeah, no, uh, it's not working. We can't just pretend this doesn't exist. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, just what you said at the end there, that's what a lot of people do. They come into my practice and, and I'll talk to them about a few things, and, but they're so excited about non-monogamy that the next thing I know, they've gone to five parties. And <laughs> the first party that they've gone to, they've totally hurt each other. And then they go to the next party, you know, and then they've got this triple layer, or in this case, a, you know, several layers of pain that is starting to just layer on top of each other, you know, whereas if they just cooled their jets... It's like, have this experience at this party, really work through it until both of you feel okay again before you do the next thing, you know? But people are just so, they just think, oh, well, I can mentally override these things and I'll be fine. I'm like, no, you can't. (laughs) You need to really move through them mentally, emotionally, and in your body until, and maintain that sense of safety, you know? Oh my goodness. 
yeah, jealousy. I mean, jealousy is hardcore and it is like, I feel like really deeply wired in there. So um, I think easing into it, like you said, you know, and, and I made all the mistakes you're mentioning, by the way. Um, I mean, I, yeah, my ex-husband and I were very bad at Polly when we first, uh, for this, you know, I was like super enthusiastic and I was like, yeah, like, I'm sure we could like, you know, we could just go right into the deep end of this pool and like, we'll just figure it all out. Um, and it did not work that way. And, and so, yeah, yeah, we made a lot of mistakes and had to, you know, it was, it was wonderful growth on a lot of levels and, and digging in to be like, oh, okay, well, there's this trigger. Um, right. But yeah, ultimately, I mean, I think we could have been a lot gentler with each other. <laughs> it would have, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, a lot of the things I, I have learned, you know, come from my own personal experience. You know, I, I had an 11 year monogamous relationship and then a 13 year non-monogamous relationship uh, where we were every different type of non-monogamous you can imagine. And, you know, when I first got into non-monogamy, I really didn't, you know, I was still in school to be a therapist and I didn't, you know, I didn't know about Dosey Easton until years later, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it, we just made mistakes and had to learn. And, and like you said, there's moments that were amazing and it is this catalyst for growth in relationships. So sometimes we felt so close, but then other times we just really hurt each other. And, you know, and so like the book that I've written is, is it doesn't pull any punches. It goes very deep. And it tries to address all the things that I see over and over again. And just like you described how, you know, that you guys made those mistakes. A lot of the mistakes that I see in a couple, almost every couple I see almost makes the exact same mistakes. I just see the same mistakes on a loop. And so the book that I wrote is addressing all of those things and how to do it better so that, you know, the new generations coming in that are non-monogamous don't have to learn the hard way. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. So we will get back into that in just a moment. We are going to head out to break and we will be back real soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. The holidays are just around the corner. Do you want to go through another round of fighting and avoiding your family? Or are you ready to build the life you love? Intimacy Architecture is here to help with our Relationship Reset Program, which combines individual and partner sessions. Learn communication techniques, self-awareness, and shift your approach to connection so you can restore trust and enjoy healthy relationships with those close to you. Visit IntimacyArchitect.com to enroll. Out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Intimacy Architecture. We want to hear from you on the show today. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. You know there's a question you have or something on your mind. That's 1-866-472-5788. Feeling shy? That's okay. Send an email to intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. Christiane might be answering you on an upcoming show. Now back to Intimacy Architecture. Hello and welcome back. Our guest this evening is Kate Laurie. She is a marriage and family therapist specializing in the world of kink, LBGTQIA plus non-monogamy. She is sex positive. 
um, and we were just talking about the wide spectrum um, and all the things that kind of fall under the umbrella of non-monogamy. Um, and of course, we were talking about the pitfalls of, you know, getting into uh, non-monogamy in the beginning. Um, and you've written a book, which will be coming out um, later in 2021. Mm-hmm. That yeah. really gets into all the relationship oopses um, that we, yeah. you know, patterns that you've you've seen over the years. So, talk to me a little bit about what are kind of the different branches of non-monogamy, and obviously, you know, this is a big subject, and but some key parts if you're new to this you know and you're thinking about it kind of the difference between I guess like non-monogamy or like swingers I get asked that all the time like when I we tell people we have an open marriage they're like oh so you're swingers and I'm like eh, no. <laughs> awesome <laughs> but that's not what we're doing <laughs> yeah well you know it, it's interesting um so if you think about a, a, a continuum I, I would put people on that are in the swing lifestyle on the left of our continuum. And then, and this is kind of like, I'm going to describe this as a risk continuum. Mm -hmm. So to me, swingers are kind of like the accountants of non-monogamy. And I'll explain (laughs) what I mean. Like if you went to an accountant convention, you Mm -hmm. could go up to Bob, the accountant or Joe, the accountant and ask them how they did their accounting. And it might be relatively similar, you know, same thing. If you go to a, a, a hotel takeover and it's a bunch of swingers and you ask them how those how they did their relationship it would be relatively similar mm-hmm. you know I mean you have some you've got derivation but in general you have a lot of swingers that you know they're usually a couple although you can be a solo swinger mm-hmm. but in general it's usually a couple Um, they may, uh, have, they are usually basically, uh, sexually non-monogamous and romantically, romantically monogamous, right? Their intention is just to love each other, but they may have a lot of lovers. They don't tend to get that close, but I, you know, I used to be in the swing lifestyle. There's folks that are swingers that still have friends decades later they may all go to cancun together wearing little matching bikinis Mm -hmm. and you know and all of that so it doesn't mean that they're not super good friends i have people that i'm still friends with even though i haven't been the swinger in forever um but in general that it's a more conservative branch and in fact there's a lot of republicans that are swingers Mm -hmm. um you know uh although that's kind of changing a little bit but back you know uh and so they're not just conservative sex, you know, you would think, oh, well, that's not conservative. But if, if you think about poly and kink people, they are a lot more open-minded in a lot of ways. Okay. Right. So as you move down the continuum to the right, there's more risk, but more rewards potentially kind of like a, if you were to buy a stock portfolio, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, as you move down, let's say, let's, let's go to the flip side. On the far right, you may have a whole bunch of folks that are poly, living in the house, helping to re- raise the children together, um, several people that, um, that are sexually non-monogamous and romantically non-monogamous. That's not always the case. There's some, some folks that are poly that might be asexual, mm-hmm. but typically a, mono- a poly person is usually sexually and romantically non-monogamous. Now, they may be in that house together raising the kids and everything, um, there's more 
uh, rewards there. Like if, when all when the Disney princess is singing and all the stars are aligned, <laughs> that can be a magical situation where everyone has yeah. so much bliss. But because there's love involved in all of that, when things go south, man, they can be brutal, mm-hmm. very brutal. So so high risk, high reward on that side. Now in the in between are all kinds of hybrids. You know, like somebody who, you know, a couple that plays together, but they also have their own lovers on the side. So that can start to look, you know, that that has a little flavor of swing, a little flavor of poly. You're seeing that more and more. And I think part of it is technology. It used to be back in the day, um, there was, and there still is, you know, there's like swinger websites and they have a whole, there's a whole um, culture on them. There's forums, there's all these different ways you can connect. You literally like I can point out a swinger at a gym or in the grocery store because they have a certain way they dress, um, a certain way, like the guys with the little gel in their hair and spike it up and all this kind of stuff. There's like, there's a culture to it. Whereas, you know, now we've got websites like Field Mm -hmm. that, you know, was built, modeled after Tinder, obviously, where there is no, for, you know, at least right now, there's not, they're starting to build a few things, but because there's no culture on it, everyone's on there. You got your Burning Man people, you got your poly people, your kinky people, your swing people, and it starts to break down these camps, like this hardcore rigid camp of here's the swing lifestyle people and here's the poly people. You start to have people operating just in a way that works for them, you know, and I think that's, where we're headed, like younger generations tend to be sexually, more sexually fluid, where they're more fluid. They, they'll wear outfits from every generation, from, you know, they'll listen to music, they'll listen to Jimi Hendrix, and then they'll listen to something modern. So young, younger generations are more fluid. And I think we're moving towards being more uh, fluid in our relationship models as, as well. So these camps are starting to break down a little bit. I know. And I love it. I love the kind of like dissolving uh, of things. I think, you know, we, we needed some alternative maps because I think the majority of us, you know, were taught the default was heterosexuality and monogamy. And now that there is more of a language um, around polyamory or non-monogamy or the world of LBGTQ and, and um, non-binary uh that yeah that now it's like okay well we see that there were alternatives and so n- now you can just really even let some of that go and you know and, and just trust like this is where that person is now you don't need them to be like what boxes are you checking <laughs> um, right it, it's it's funny when I've done public speaking and I can see my audience and they're like so what does non-monogamy look like and I come back and I go what would you like it to look like and I can see the fear in their eyes because mm-hmm. they're new and they want structure and they want to know what it looks like and they want someone to tell them mm-hmm. and put the little steps out so they can like know how to follow the breadcrumbs and get it right. Like, and, and to tell yes. them that it's custom made and it can look the way you want to look and how it works for you is very terrifying to a lot of folks, you know? Um, so a lot of times when I have clients, I'll start out by talking almost in stereo. I'll tell them, I'm like, I'm going to talk in stereotypes, but just know at the end of the day, that's not how it's going to be. At the end of the day, you're going to build your own thing. And it's not going to be like this off the rack, non-monogamy, you know? Yeah. Getting it right. I love that you brought that up. I think, you know, that is such a, uh, I feel like that's even been some of the downfall in 
relationships I've had um, that were non-monogamous. It was like, we wanted to prove that we were so good at non-monogamy. Like um, my husband and I went with his ex-wife on a business trip and I was like, we're, we're so good at, at being non-monogamous. Look, we can even be in this like platonic situation, but it didn't matter. Like if we weren't communicating, if we, you know, like things were coming up, like to, to be like, no, we're getting it right. We're, you know, we're, we're doing good job, you know, at, at polying, look at us instead of being like, yeah, no, actually I'm not happy with this. I, you know, <laughs> this isn't really what right. I'm um, for the sake of trying to be like, no, I can power through and, and prove I'm <laughs> Right. It's it's kind of funny because it's like when you go to a non-monogamous party, it's a little bit like Facebook. You know how like on Facebook, people always say that this is not people's real life. It's like they're putting Mm -hmm. up their trips, their trip to Europe and like Mm -hmm. all the bright, shiny thing and their children when their children are sweet and all this stuff. Right. You know, it's like more the shiny or or not everybody. Some people self-disclose, but it can be that way. And a lot of times at non-monogamous parties, it's the same way where, especially in swing lifestyle, where they have this credo of non, no drama. And so they don't mm-hmm. talk about their grandma that's sick with cancer. They talk about the last, uh, you know, vacation they went or the job promotion or the, right. the you know, whatever. Um, but what I see in my private practice is that although people love it and they wouldn't want to go back to monogamy and it brings them a lot of gifts, it's also freaking hard, (laughs) but people sometimes don't disclose that, you know, they don't want people to know that how hard it is for them. And I think at this point, you know, with, with, with opening up with the ethical slut, with all these books and so many people starting to come out and non-monogamy becoming normalized, I think we can like put our palm, our pom poms down Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not worry about judgment so much and start being honest about not just the good stuff, but the things that are hard. And from that place, we're going to get better at it. Yes. Yes. And that is exactly why I wanted to have this conversation with you, because absolutely, you know, when you are in a position to create your own relationship, you know, to be honest about like, okay, well, this is working now this didn't really work for me. I need to change it up. I don't want a hierarchy. I want to do it this way. Um, you know, just to be able to have the freedom to be like, yeah, we don't really know. And it's not like monogamous people have it figured out. You know, in monogamous relationships, I still had challenges communicating and talking about feelings and emotional stuff and falling into, you know, stereotypical roles of what the husband is supposed to do and what the wife is supposed to do. Um but yeah, I definitely went through, you know, this period of thinking like, well, if I'm choosing this seemingly alternative lifestyle, I have to be like super good at it to prove that I made the right choice instead of just being like you were saying earlier, just compassionate, compassionate with myself, with my partner to be like, yeah, we, you know, we don't have it all figured out and that's okay. The point is that we are trying to create, you know, what feels most authentic and, and honors you know, the truth of where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to, um, yeah, I, I'll have to say, you know, it's like when I think about my monogamous relationship, that was 11 years in comparison to everything that happened once I came to LA, my 13 year old non-monogamous, my 13 year non-monogamous relationship all the way to the present, that monogamous relationship feels like a cryogenic state, you mm-hmm. know, in comparison. And that's one right. thing about monogamy. It's not just my relationship. I listen to other people that were once monogamous and then they become non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in monogamy, all kinds of issues can remain, remain dormant and mm-hmm. people can remain completely unaware of, 
of all these issues because monogamy just kind of, I mean, the benefit of monogamy is it allows you to sometimes at its best feel like your partner's sun, moon, and stars, mm-hmm. you know, and that can be a lovely feeling. But the negative part is a lot of times there's issues that are in the relationship that neither person are aware of. Right. Whereas once you become non-monogamous, man, everything is revealed. There is a big spotlight on anything that is unresolved in each individual and in the relationship. And people either sink or, you know, like uh, it's a catalyst. So everything moves faster and um, that can be a beautiful thing or it can be a super hard thing or both. (laughs) Right. Well, and, you know, a question I often get asked is like, like, how does it work? And I was like, it works similar to having multiple friends. Like if you only have one friend and that friend, you know, you only ever talk about sports, then how are you growing? How are you, you know, reflecting other things, other interests that you have, other parts of yourself, emotionally, mentally, like we need more people in our lives to reflect things back to us and and to show us new ideas. And so for me, that's a big piece of, you know, the beauty of, you know, like you're saying, you know, if you're, in this non-monogamous situation, you have more people who are coming at you being like, Hey, like, let's talk about this. Or like, I noticed this or, you know, um, yeah. just yeah. Revealing more to it's one so another. True. And, and the argument I always hear from monogamous people is, well, you can do that with your friends. And I'm like, mm, it doesn't, you know, if you have a lover, they are way more likely to uh, go deeper with you, mm-hmm. call you out on your bullshit like reveal, reveal how they see you. It's, it's just, uh, I, I don't agree with that argument, you know, that you mm-hmm. can, in monogamy, you can just have friends that will do the same thing. Because I've just seen it, not just in my own relationships, but on a loop, both in my practice and outside of my practice, that the growth that happens when you're non-monogamous is just light years faster, you know? Yeah. And that, that can be, uh, again, that can be difficult or uh, a beautiful thing, you know, or both. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I love you. We're talking about, you know, across the, the uh, pendulum, um, or that wasn't the word you used, but um, continuum, continuum. Thank you. Um, and this sort of like sexual as opposed to romantic and, you know, some things are one or the other. Let's talk a little bit about the world of BDSM and, and the role that that can play, because um, I know I've had relationships where there was just this play aspect um, exploring the world of BDSM and, and it wasn't romantic and it wasn't necessarily sexual either. Like it kind of takes on its own little hybrid. Like you're saying, you, you yeah. branch off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I certainly have known a lot of people where um, they have partners um, where it's a BDSM relationship and it is heavily erotic but they are not having penetrative sex, mm-hmm. you know, that the, that the, and I, and I've known plenty of BDSM practitioners who prefer that, that that mm-hmm. is way more erotic. And they really um, like actually having sexual intercourse is, is kind of like meh to them mm-hmm. in comparison to BDSM play. You know, um, I, I think when I look at different relationships, I think it works best when all parties are comfortable with BDSM. The, the time, whether, you know, the times that I see it going south the most is when there's like, say a couple and mm-hmm. one person says, you know, I'm discovering I love BDSM. Right. And the other partner says, well, I want you to be happy. So why don't you go off and 
go on this journey. Mm-hmm. Now, the non, the one who is not into BDSM that gives that, that freedom doesn't realize what's going to happen, which is usually a whole journey happens, not just with BDSM, but with, mm-hmm. with friendships and awareness and growth. And it's like, you know, Alice going into Wonderland. Yeah. You know, he thinks, you know, like say if it's a male partner saying mm-hmm. go off and do this, he thinks he's just saying, yeah, go off on a walk. He doesn't realize that Alice is about to step into Wonderland, yeah. you know? And then um, that can be very challenging for the relationship. But I've known other couples or triads, et cetera, mm-hmm. where all parties kind of, they understand what BDSM is, comfortable with it, and it can be uh, an amazing dynamic within their non-monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, we have two minutes to break. I wonder if we can get this in real quick before break. If you can tell me the difference between kink and fetish. Is that? Oh, well, the, the way I think of it mm-hmm. is I think of kink as an umbrella umbrella term. And then mm-hmm. underneath it, I think of BDSM and fetish. And, you know, and okay. the fetish is, is, is more like, you know, having a, a foot fetish or a shoe fetish mm-hmm. or, or say you're a lunar and you're into balloons and all that. You know, and then you've got BDSM, you know, bondage, discipline, sadism, masochism, and then the other two, what is it? Did I say dominance and submission? Anyway, there's six. (laughs) So that's how I think of it. I think of kink as the umbrella and then fetish and BDSM as the two branches. And obviously a lot of people that are into BDSM are also into fetish. And, you know, it's like, to me, when I think of kink, I think of a universe with many, many planets. I love that. That's a great way to look at it. Um, so, yeah, so we are getting ready to get on to our next break. I want to give you all the wonderful ways in which you can connect to Kate. You can find her on Instagram at Polly Kink Sex Therapy, on Facebook at Kate Lori LMFT, on Twitter at Polly Kink Therapy, and her website, which has wonderful resources, is Kate, that's K A T E L O R E E. And we are going to head out to our next break and we'll be back in just a moment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The holidays are just around the corner. Do you want to go through another round of fighting and avoiding your family? Or are you ready to build the life you love? Intimacy Architecture is here to help with our Relationship Reset Program, which combines individual and partner sessions. Learn communication techniques, self-awareness, and shift your approach to connection so you can restore trust and enjoy healthy relationships with those close to you. Visit IntimacyArchitect.com to enroll get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening 
listening to Intimacy Architecture. We want to hear from you on the show today. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. You know there's a question you have or something on your mind. That's 1-866-472-5788. Feeling shy? That's okay. Send an email to intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. Christiane might be answering you on an upcoming show. Now back to Intimacy Architecture. Greetings, greetings. Here we are. It's Friday the 13th, and my guest is Kate Laurie, and we have been talking about the world of non-monogamy and all its many branches and, and adventures along the way. So a lot of people have been stuck inside with their significant other for extended period of time, which was rather unexpected and probably very new for a lot of people, um, which you know, I know a lot of people I've talked to, it's like, oh, I discovered a lot of things about this person. I don't know how many of them I really actually like. Um, <laughs> and then they get this idea of like, well, maybe we should open our relationship up because I don't know if I want to be around you anymore. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the idea of timing and, and you know, is there a, a good time to try to open your marriage if you're in a monogamous relationship? Um, I guess married or not married, is there a time when you really want to maybe step back and work on the relationship you're in before you go and open that door? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to use the examples of the pandemic, but I'll use some other examples. Um, you know, when you talk to other sex educators, a lot of the ones that I've listened to, um, We'll say, just don't do it. Like, don't don't open up your relationship if you've just had an affair or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, people will do it anyway. So I think it's it's better to to actually okay, let's let's talk about it. Let's at least tell people how it's going to go down mm-hmm. if they choose to do this, rather than just saying don't do it because right. they're going to do it. Uh, I I know that <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> will just do it regardless of what what you say. They 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 get something in their head. Um, yeah. So I mean the better place to open up your relationship is when you're feeling intellectually, emotionally, and sexually connected to your partner, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And when you're in that place of connection in those three areas, um, then if you say both take an outside lover, then it's going to be less of a threat, right? Um, You know, it's the thing is, a lot of times, whether somebody says they're going to have a hierarchy or whether they say mm-hmm. they, they're not going to have a hierarchy, a lot of times in both cases, they're wrong. Or, or you know, basically what I see happening is when people play separately, a lot mm-hmm. of times the outside lover ends up being sexually primary. You know, mm-hmm. if you, you know, and then right. the couple that's been together longer, a lot of times become primary in terms of raising the kids and, you know, playing, going on vacation and playing retirement and, and stuff like that. You know, and uh, and I see that happen. I've warned people about that, and they're like, "Oh my God, Kate, you even told us this would happen, <laughs> and now here we're in it, and we didn't, we don't." Anyway, people get themselves right. into that situation. They're like, "Oh my God," because the thing is, you know, most couples uh, they fall in love. They're non-monogamous. They fall in love under a different love language than the famous five. They fall in love under freedom and carefree fun and adventure. And so if, um, so they fall in love, you know, at Burning Man or at the, Mm -hmm. at the dungeon or at the play party or something like that. And they, they're like, oh my God, I found my adventure buddy. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. 
And so when they have that outside lover that ends up being sexually primary, a lot of times when the person in the primary relationship goes, all of a sudden they're like, how did I become Clark Kent? I want to be your Superman. Like, how did I, you know? And so, you know, but if the primary relationship, again, you know, the beginning relationship Mm -hmm. or the nesting relationship is emotionally and sexually and intellectually connected, then those outside lovers end up being more like, the cherry on a wonderful Sunday rather than this, these people that end up harming the original relationship. So it's super important to be connected in those ways or else the outside lovers will just shine a light on mm-hmm. areas that are weak links in your relationship. So that's one thing that I'd say, but a lot of times, you know, I, I've had people that will start out their non-monogamous relationship. They'll say, um, Oh, by the way, I've been having an affair and mm-hmm. um I, you know, and my affair partner is Julie and I want her to be my lover and I want to open up the marriage and let's do this. And, you know, mm-hmm. people do that. Yeah. It usually goes south and might end up in divorce. <laughs> you know, I haven't really seen that work out for people very often. You know, I mean, I'm sure that sometimes it could, I guess, but it, it's like when you start out something that's already scary, yeah. non-monogamy is scary from a place of no trust, mm-hmm. you know, then it's really hard to pull it off, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. That foundation um, for sure is, you know, if it's already wobbly, it's, it's kind of hard to, to get in there and, and root in and, and create something. Um, but, you know, again, these moments are catalysts and um, myself, my husband and my boyfriend all came to a really healthy version of ethical non-monogamy, but it's because we were all married, tried to open our relationships. They didn't work out. All of our partners were like, no, I'm really monogamous. And we're like, each of us were like, no, we're really not. And, <laughs> and so it's just yeah. interesting, you know, when we all like uh, came together and are sharing our story, I'm like, oh my God, we all have the same like origin story of how we got here. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not a horrible thing if relationships end because sometimes you're not supposed to be with that partner anymore. Maybe you've grown apart. It's interesting, Tammy Nelson's book, The New Monogamy, Mm -hmm. is actually about non-monogamy. I was like, why did you name it that, Tammy? Anyway, that's a whole story. Um, But that book is about starting off after an affair Mm -hmm. and then starting to decide to stay together and having this conversation about what your new relationship model is going to look like. And a lot of the questions are about opening up the relationship. I I think that if you're going to do that, it just has to be in a very kind way. If you are about to open up after an affair, you Mm -hmm. know, I think it's better that you decide if you want to stay with your primary partner to let go of the affair partner, you Mm -hmm. know, and start fresh. And you have to realize that you have to heal from the affair and just go at super baby steps if you are going to think about opening up the relationship because there is this injury. And usually the person that has committed the infidelity is able to heal way faster than the person that's experienced the injury, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times they're like, I've already said, I'm sorry, you should be healed next week, right? And they're like, no, this is going to take a couple of years, you know? (laughs) So, um, yeah, I, I... it's just, uh, I think people don't understand how difficult non-monogamy is. Mm-hmm. And so they, they just go way too fast. And uh, it's much better if uh, you're coming from a grounded place. And you're coming from a place where you're, you've worked on yourself enough that you're not leading with ego. Right. Yeah. And so that's 
you know, something else that you're talking about is this idea of being conscious rather than unconscious and the awareness of not being reactive in your relationship. And so how do you see that playing out in this idea of kind of taking it slow and, and that now, consciousness? There, there's this book, there's a couple of books that are both through a monogamous lens. Uh, mm-hmm. One is called Conscious Loving uh, by Gay Hendricks. Mm-hmm. And the other one is called Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks. So both with the last name Hendricks. And, and that's, what, that's what's unfortunate about a lot of the books that really help in couples relationships right. are through a monogamous lens. And the book that I've written is taking all that stuff and putting everything through a non-monogamous lens. Yeah. You know, and, and so in, in uh, Conscious Loving, he, he talks about how a lot of us, we're still projecting our backs, our unresolved trauma history, our, uninvolved, uh, our unresolved attachment injuries. We're projecting all of that onto our partner. And one thing that Harville Hendricks in the other book talks about, it's like when you have unresolved stuff, you will often either t- choose a partner that recapitulates the trauma Mm-hmm. Or you will project a story onto your partner right. um, that really has nothing to do with them. Or you'll push your partner so much that they start to act like that person from your backstory. Mm-hmm. You know, um, all of this unconsciously, right? Yeah. So the more you become a conscious person, the more you're aware of your triggers, the more you're grounded in your body, uh, the more you're able to choose a better partner, stay conscious. Um, and, and have a conscious re- relationship. And part of that is when we get triggered, we get kicked out of our resilient zone and mm-hmm. we'll either get stuck, we'll either go into the high zone, rage, anxiety, or it's stuck on low, dissociated, mm-hmm. numb. When we're in either one of those places, the prefrontal cortex that negotiates between logic and reason is not working so well. And that's when we say things to our partners that we regret the next day that mm-hmm. and we're really projecting stories onto them, all of this stuff. So the part of staying conscious in the relationship is tracking your body, is staying grounded, is being able to do a proper timeout and getting yourself grounded again, if need be, in the middle of just uh, uncomfortable conversations. Oh my gosh, I love that. That is... It is a big piece. And when I explain to people like, you know, my approach and how it's not just like talking, you know, that you have to like really feel into these things. They always look at me so puzzled, like, you know, why would I make them breathe slower? I'm like, you guys, like you got to understand, you know, if you're like, if you're in this crazy fight or flight mode, you're not, you know, you're not going to be able to have this conversation. You need to go take five minutes and take deep breaths. And, right. Like, you know, go outside. Right. Well, the, the- the, the missing part in Getting the Love You Want by Harville mm-hmm. Hendricks is he has this lovely approach called the Imago Dialogue mm-hmm. about communication, the three-step approach, which is mirroring, validating, empathizing. But he never says, oh, by the way, if you're stuck high or stuck on low, none of this right. will work right. and it will all be a freaking train wreck. And so what I do in my book is I combine somatic work, grounding work, taking proper timeouts, you know, before, during, and after an uncomfortable conversation, mm-hmm. like knowing how to ground yourself, knowing how to help ground your partner right. and combining Harville's approach with somatic work. Yes. Now you can move through a conversation, an uncomfortable conversation mm-hmm. with a great higher chance of success. Yeah. 
I love that. It's it is so important. I'm so excited for this book to come out. And you'll also be having a podcast coming out that's actually coming out real soon in December of 2020. Um, so just a couple weeks away, it is going to be called Open Deeply, and you'll be um, hosting with Sunny Megatron. So I'm really excited for that. That's going to be yeah. a great resource for everyone. Oh um, well, yeah. So, oh, go ahead. oh, I was just going to say it, it, I've known Sunny a long time, and just. Uh, as we were going through not just the pandemic, but also just George Floyd and all of that, like mm-hmm. Sunny's into a lot of uh, social justice things, just like I am. And I just call her on the phone and we chat. And at a certain point, I'm like, she and I just have this great flow yeah. and we pretty much agree on everything. And then one day I just called her up and I'm like, would you like to do this? And then it was just on, you know? Yeah, I love it. That's great. So we just have um, a couple minutes left. Um, what is kind of your closing takeaway you want people to have as we wrap up here? Uh, Let's see. So, you know, for me personally in my career, like this is a big push in my life, you know, where I'm going to be getting the book out. I don't know how fast it's going to come out because I'm pitching the book to publishers and everything. And I'm doing the podcast. I'm going to be doing more television and all of that. Um, I guess I would just want people to know that, you know, I think a lot of folks, have, we've, we've had some great people that have helped us out, like Tristan Terramino and mm-hmm. Dosi Eason, um, you know, but I think one thing that I'm going to offer is, again, like just really talking about some of the hard stuff, going deeper, because, you know, and, and, and to look forward to that, you know, and some people aren't going to like some of the things I say, and some people are going to think that, or, you know, some people are going to get mad at me for being just like, blah, these, here are all the things. But um, I think we're ready for that. You know, oh, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, non-monogamy has been a little bit like, if you think about any, uh, say, a racial group or whatever mm-hmm. that has experienced bigotry, they have a tendency right. to wave their pom-poms because they get attacked all the time. And I think right. non-monogamy, you know, uh, non-monogamous people, we get attacked a lot. And so we've had a tendency to like, be like, we're great. We're the golden chalice. Yeah. Um, And that's wonderful, but it's kept us a little stuck. And so now I think uh, we're ready to go deeper. I love that. Yes. Go in and look around and yeah, just really own, own it all. Um, Cause I think that's how we're going to learn more. And we'll be able to, like you were saying earlier, you know, teach future generations and have, you know, be able to have this conversation about the challenges in, in a very honest way that helps everybody learn better. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that comes from a place of strength. We're stronger now. Yeah. We're, you yeah. know, we know who we are. Love it. Well, thank you so much. Our guest this evening has been Kate Laurie, marriage and family therapist. You can find her on Kate. That's K-A-T-E, Laurie, L-O-R-E-E dot com. She's also on Twitter, Polykink Therapy. Instagram on Polly Kink Sex Therapy and Facebook at Kate Laurie LMFT. So thank you again, Kate. It has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. And I've enjoyed talking to you and all your listeners. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. Thank you everyone for listening. Lots of love to you. Enjoy this wonderful weekend and we'll catch you next week here on Intimacy Architecture Radio. tuning in and being part of Intimacy Architecture. Join Christiane Bella for the next show. We're live every Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now go enjoy the weekend.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America. 